0: 38. I'll be reading Genesis chapter 38, um, and for the sake of time and prudence, I will be uh, skipping over a little bit. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hirah. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and married her. And she conceived and bore a son and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son and she called his name Onan. Yet again she bore a son and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in when she was born, when she bore him. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Have relations with your brother's wife, and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her, and raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he had relations with his wife, he would not fulfill his duty so as not to give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up. For he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shuah's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers, he and his friend Hira, the Adullamite. And when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up and sat at the entrance of Enayim, which is on the road to Mm Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown up, and she had not been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and and said, Let me have relations with you, for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, what will you give me that you may come, that you may have what you want? He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, if you give me a pledge until you send it. He said, what pledge shall I give you? She replied, your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her. And she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away, and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend the Adulamite to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, where is the cult prostitute who was at Enaum at the roadside? And they said, no, no cult prostitute has been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Also, the men of the place said, no cult prostitute has been here. And Judah replied, let her keep the things as her own, or we shall be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat, and you did not find her. About three months later, Judah was told Tamar, your daughter-in-law has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. When the time of her labor came, there were twins at her womb, and when she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out, and she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore his name was called Perez. Afterward his brother came out with the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. Lord, open our hearts and open up the truth of your word that we might, oh Lord, see how great you are in the plan of redemption. And because of your saving grace, give praise to God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. When I was a boy watching an exciting and suspenseful television program At times, I was sort of jolted when the program suddenly stopped and was replaced by a certain announcement. We interrupt this program for station identification. Or we interrupt this program for a special word from our sponsor. Normally it was a quick interruption and then the program would resume again. Well, the inspired writer Moses did something similar to to this to his audience. He began the very exciting and suspenseful story of Joseph in chapter 37, and then abruptly interrupted that story in chapter 38 with something he felt needed to be said quickly before returning back to the story of Joseph. Every kid in this room. Every single kid should have been on the edge of their seat last week hearing about Joseph. He was almost murdered by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold as a slave, and then he was sold again to Potiphar, the captain of the guard in Egypt. And then right at the height of that suspense, Moses abruptly stopped and I mean abruptly stopped telling us about Joseph, to tell us quickly about something else very important, Judah. Of course, Moses didn't write mere television programs like Lassie or Flicka or Perry Mason or one of today's programs that I can't think of one. This is the inspired word of God. And God himself ultimately put it together using the inspired writers to do it. So everything in the Bible and even the way it's arranged has a specific divine reason behind it. And so it's not wrong of us to wonder why Moses arranged this the way he did. We should wonder. We should wonder why is the focus suddenly now on Judah and his family? Why not Dan? Why not Naphtali? Why not Issachar? Why not Zebulun? Why Judah? And why such a quick interruption to the Joseph narrative? Well, the answers to these questions come into focus when we understand the time frame for Genesis chapter 38. This one chapter about Judah in Canaan covers a time period of about 20 to 25 years. And the entire story of Joseph in Egypt covers that same 20 to 25 years. These two stories parallel each other completely. Moses placed them side by side because he wanted us to see how God was working in Egypt through Joseph during those 25 years and how things were back at the ranch, so to speak, in the life of Judah and his family during those same 25 years. They just happened in different places, one in Egypt and one in Canaan. But why Judah? Why does the focus suddenly turn to Judah and his family? Because Judah is the tribe through which God's Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, is supposed to come. Throughout the covenant of redemption, there is particular concern with the branch of Jacob's family that carries the seed through which God's Christ will come. And when we consider Judah's family and the train wreck that it is spiritually, We'll all be thinking together, Christ is supposed to come out of that? So Genesis 38 is very, very important to the story of redemption. Look at it this way. As we go through the parallel story of Joseph in the weeks ahead, we will see God mightily using Joseph to preserve his people. Well, it would be a fair question for for us to ask... Preserve them for what? Why preserve your people? For what? And the answer is, God is preserving his people through Joseph so that the seed of the woman, the Messiah, can come through Judah. Preserving his people through Joseph is meaningless without the coming of Christ through Judah. Without Jesus Christ, all is lost. None of this matters without him. The story of Joseph completely falls flat without the Lord Jesus Christ. And so 25 years will go by in the life of Joseph in Egypt in the next 12 chapters, and a parallel 25 years will go by in the life of Judah in Canaan in this one <coughs> chapter. And in this one chapter, not only will we see God keeping his promise for the seed of the woman to come through Judah, but in it, we will see God's powerful, saving grace. And we will know that it is so real. It, it may seem strange to you at first, uh, after reading such a dark and wicked account but I want us to see two aspects of God's grace this morning. First, I want us to see the depth of his grace and then the, the breadth of his grace. So let's open up the lid, if I could put it that way. And I believe as we open up the lid that we will see great grace. The depth of it and the breadth of it in this chapter. God's grace is so deep that it can reach the worst of sinners and turn their lives completely around for his glory. Judah and family are a picture of how far God is willing to go with his grace. Look at verse 1. We'll go over the darkness will rush through it as quickly as Moses did. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. So get the context. Right after Judah put his share of the money in his pocket for selling Joseph, he made a Canaanite his best friend. At this time, Judah would have been around 20 years old. At that time, he separated himself from his family, both in his heart and physically, and began hanging around with Canaanites. Hira was his best friend. It's always a red light when young people distance themselves from their family and hang out with those outside of the faith. It always leads to the destruction of lives. Verse 2. Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and had relations with her. In the Hebrew, he took her carries the same idea as what Eve did with the forbidden fruit. She took it and he ate. He took it And he ate also. Judah took Shua's daughter. We never even learned the name of this woman. It's not given to us because her name meant nothing to to Judah. She was simply an object of lust. And then the story begins to move to warp speed, painting a picture of deep darkness. Judah's wife bore him three sons Er, Onan, and Shelah. And the very next thing that we're told is that Judah got a wife for Er, his oldest son, who was obviously had already grown up to young manhood. The woman that Judah got for her was Tem- for Er was Tamar. She was a Canaanite. Now that was a quick 17 to 20 years. Right there. But Ur was wicked, Moses tells us, and the Lord put him to death. Then, as was the custom, Tamar was given to Judah's second son, Onan, as a wife. But Onan did not perform his husbandry, husbandly duty to her because he knew that his firstborn son from her would legally belong to his deceased brother, and he just didn't like that idea. Bad blood, I'm sure. This seems odd to us today, but it was part of that culture by God's design, and it was later put into the civil laws given by God to Moses. If a man married and died before he could have children, then his brother was to take the widow and be a husband to her, And the firstborn son would belong to the older deceased son. And that child would carry his name and receive his inheritance. So when Onan refused to complete the marriage act, and by the way, the verb tense here means he refused it over and over and over and over again. It was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord put Onan to death. Well, there was still one more son, Shelah, and by rights, Tamar should have been given to him as to her as Tamar should have been given to him as a wife. but at that time, Shelah was too young for marriage, and so Judah told Tamar, "Wait until he's old enough, and then i'll give him to you." Well, he never intended to give her to him or him to her because Judah feared that his younger son would die just like the other two. You see, Judah had no interest at all in the things of God. In fact, he was probably caught up in in Canaanite religion and its superstitions. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, welcome to Judah And his family. In this spiritually dark family, so dark, God's grace will shine much brighter than Tyler's flashlight did on the hayride Friday night. But let's pause here for a second because the faithfulness of God is on the line. There is a need for seed. There's a need for seed in Judah's line if God's promises in Jesus Christ are to come true. But I want you to take note of something that is very important. That Judah's family is actually fighting against that seed. Nothing from Ur, he fought against it with his wickedness. Onan fought against it with his selfishness. And now Judah is fighting against it by never intending to give Tamar to Shelah. The whole family is fighting the need for seed. The whole family is bucking, if you will, in a great spiritual darkness against God's promises to bring Jesus Christ through that family. It's, it's sort of just the opposite of Abraham and Sarah's situation. Throughout redemptive history, the Lord it's so suspenseful, and the Lord makes you know at every turn and throughout every generation, He's going to make this happen. But with Abraham and Sarah, it was just the opposite. They wanted to have children that God had promised them. They just couldn't have the children without God's miraculous intervention. They were aching to have children. Here in Judah's family, they can have children, but they refuse to have them. And just like in the story of Joseph, here's what we will find today. God will use the sinful actions of Judah's family to fulfill his promises and to fulfill his greater purposes in Christ Jesus. In both the story of Joseph and the story of Judah. We see the same providential working of God. What they meant for evil, God meant for good. As we get to verse 12, we find that Judah's wife had died. After a time of mourning, Judah went up to Timnah with his best friend Hira to shear his sheep. Tamar hears about it. She has been severely wronged. She has waited a long time for Judah to keep his promise. But Sheila is now grown up and Tamar realizes that Judah has lied to her. So she comes up with her own wicked scheme. Nobody in this chapter deserves grace. Nobody throughout all human history deserves grace. But can't you see it so plainly here? Nobody in this chapter deserves grace. Well, Tamar gets to Timnah before Judah and poses as a prostitute with veiled face to deceive him. She knows who Judah is. She knows exactly what to do. With her face veiled, he turns aside to her. They make a deal. She becomes pregnant from it and has been given his signet necklace, holding his signet ring and his staff as a pledge. That pledge was so that he would eventually pay her for her services. And she, with that pledge, she would be sure that he would. She then put on her widow's clothing uh, on and returned to her father's house. In the meantime, Hira goes back to Timnah to pay her for Judah and to get Judah's pledge, his necklace and staff. Oh, it's so spiritually dark and wicked in this family. Everything is so wicked and so dark And so perverted. But this is right where we begin to see the depth of God's grace. Three months later, Judah hears that Tamar is pregnant by immorality. And not only does he want to have her executed for it, he wants to put her through one of the most painful deaths possible, burning It's a spiritual reality, brothers and sisters, that when a person is living in spiritual darkness and in rebellion to the gospel, they refuse to look at or even acknowledge the depth of their own sin, but they condemn others for the same things that they have done. They excuse their own sin. They cover it up and they play down who they really are before a holy God and what their sin deserves because of it. The unregenerate actually spend most of their time and energy shielding themselves and keeping up their public persona by pointing out the the faults of others. That is, until... God graciously opens their spiritual eyes to see the horror of who they are in their sin and what they actually deserve. And this is a most glorious thing. When Tamar was accused of immorality, she brought out the signet ring and staff. And had Judah, and this was public, she had Judah publicly identify whether or not they were his. For the first time in his life, Judah was struck to the heart by the horror of his own sin and not the sin of others. He couldn't see his sin before. But suddenly he couldn't get away from his sin. And he blurted out to those surrounding him. She is more righteous than I. He said in verse 26. And in the Hebrew it can also be translated. She is righteous. And I am not. Either way. Here is a sinner from head to toe who has suddenly stopped looking at the sins of others and who, because of the depths of God's grace, can now only see his own sin. Brothers and sisters, if God's grace is that deep, there is no one so wicked he cannot reach. I would have loved, To have seen Tamar's face. Because Judah could have done, uh, he could have said a lot of other things, couldn't he? He could have said, You tricked me. But no, that heart of stone was beginning to turn into a heart of flesh. And Judah was more like the Garrison demoniac. Now seeing only a sin and not the sin of others, he was in his right mind and clothed. Years ago, the chains that bound me began to come off because God was dealing with my heart. He was pressing the gospel against my heart. And when I shared who I was in all my sin, held nothing back, the swamp began to gush out of me. You know, we talk about the swamp in politics, and it is a swamp, but can we really expect anything else unless the Holy Spirit drains the swamp of sin-sick souls? But there is no one so wicked that God cannot save them. For those of you who know the end of the story of Joseph, who was it that convinced Jacob to let Benjamin go to Egypt? You know, his track record with brothers isn't very good. But who was it? It was Judah. Nobody else could convince Jacob. Reuben, the oldest, couldn't convince him. And he didn't say to his dad, take my ring and my staff. He said... Take me as a pledge from my brother, your son. Take me. If I do not return with Benjamin, I alone will be to blame. Then do you remember Joseph when he was threatening to have Benjamin incarcerated? All the brothers were there. It was Judah who intervened and pled passionately for the life of Benjamin. He begged Joseph to take him prisoner instead so that Jacob might not be deprived of his youngest son. Quite the opposite of nearly slitting Joseph's throat. Quite the opposite of throwing him in a pit. Quite the opposite of lining his pockets with the sale of Joseph as a slave. It was a different Judah than the one who was sold who had sold Joseph and deceived his father. It was a different Joseph. The depths of his heart had been changed by saving grace. He had turned from the horror of who he was and had embraced the God of promise as he is offered in the gospel. You know... Until a sinner acknowledges who they are in their sin, they will never give their life to God. Until a sinner acknowledges who they are in their sick sin uh their 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 sick, sin filled souls, they will never turn to the cure. And trust in the salvation that only God provides, and then serve Him out of a heart of devotion and thankfulness. But when it happens, when it actually happens, it makes people like that humbly sing out in the congregation of God's people. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died He for me? And I was the one who caused his pain. For me, he pursued death. Amazing love. That thou, my God, shouldst die for me. And do you remember the very end of Genesis when Jacob blessed his sons? Here's what he said about Judah. Your brothers shall praise you. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. That's the depth of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And you can see why these two stories are put side by side. Because Joseph is being used by God to preserve God's people. So that through Judah. The Christ can come. And very quickly the breadth of God's grace. Well that's. A fun one, God's grace goes out to every nation and race of people on the earth. That's how broad God's grace is, and we see it in the life of Tamar. carrying twins, Christ would come through Perez to the next generation. And it would continue generation after generation because of the faithfulness of God until the Lord Jesus Christ lands safely and squarely in the manger at Bethlehem. Not only that, but God's grace reached into the heart of Tamar, the Canaanite. In the beginning of the book of Matthew, Matthew gives us a genealogy of Christ. He starts with Abraham Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. And Jacob was the father of Judah. And Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. The breadth of God's grace in Jesus Christ is that he brought Tamar and a multitude of others like her out of a place of darkness, out of a pagan culture. And into his marvelous light, into his marvelous grace. Tamar is placed alongside names like Rahab, the harlot, and Ruth, the Moabitess. Women from outside of Israel saved by the blood of the Lamb. God today using us, brothers and sisters, using us, his people, is still graciously and powerfully saving sinners in every nation of the world. And that was really accelerated big time with the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. You see, we are thrilled with a God who saves. We're praying for our unsaved loved ones, aren't we? He can break through We're praying for our unsaved friends. We're praying for our auto mechanics. We're praying for those we bump into in our neighborhoods and in the stores. Our friends. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ truly is the dynamite of God. And brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, God is the main story and the main hero in both of these stories. It's not the story of Joseph. It's the story of God and his redeeming plan. It's not the story of Judah. It's the story of God. You know, Judah was not seeking God, was he? He wasn't seeking salvation, was he? This is God's story. And God is calling us to look to him and to trust and rest in Jesus Christ. But not only that, to pray for the lost. And ask, for, ask God for opportunities to share Christ with those he puts in our path. Praise God for the depth of his grace and the, and the breadth of his grace. But remember something, and I want to leave this picture with you. That from now until the, the, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, God, or I'm sorry, it will seem very precarious at times. And God will glorify himself in working out his greater purposes in Jesus Christ. And he will bring bring his son right on time. And we will be gathered together with his son Jesus. Now listen, the picture I want to leave in your mind is this. The faithfulness of God was hanging by a thread. The faithfulness of God was in Tamar's womb. Wickedness abounded. And Perez was in her womb. She came that close to being executed. And God wants us to look to him. And to believe in these things that he is impressing upon our hearts. That he is able. That he is willing. And that he has planned from all eternity past to fulfill these things. And he is allowing us at SGRC to participate in this great mission. His grace can reach the most wicked person And the breadth of his grace goes around the world and it excludes no color, no race. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we ask, Lord, that your blessing would be upon the preaching of your word. And Father, we thank you for this insertion, this interruption that so highlights the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you through him. Now help us, Lord, to respond as we ought. And we pray it in Jesus name. Amen. Well, I think in your hymnal isn't it 431? Number 431. Let's all